0: Our journey this morning in Old Testament characters. Every once in a while, when you see something, do you ever wonder, wait a minute. There's got to be more to that than that. Do you ever watch an illusionist and you wonder, how do they do that? I mean, how did he do that? I've said to you a hundred times before, the CAC is overwhelmingly blessed in a number of ways, we're actually blessed with an illusionist who's going to come up this morning. Tim Shingleton, uh, this is not an advertisement at all, but if you want to really see some phenomenal things, go out to play things, etc., the sh- spaceship on Route 8, not an advertisement at all, Tim, Thanks. in any way. Twenty-four eighty-three 83 really from the highway. <laughs> But every time I see one of these guys, I happened to see one a couple of weeks ago, and I've known Tim who has done this before, I thought, how do they do that? I read this section of Scripture the they this morning in First and Second Kings, and I thought, i got to watch Tim again and see if I can figure out how he does some of the
1: things he does. Oh, goodness. <clears throat> well, keep in mind, I'm no magician. I just work at a toy store. But <laughs> apparently I was good enough to impress Denny, so... <clears throat> It's cool what you can do with an ordinary ball, first of all. This is just a uh, a small ball here. And um, if I move my hands just right, we can make it float there. There it is. And I tell people, this is also a fortune-telling crystal ball. Right now, you're all currently very impressed (laughs) by how handsome I am. A lot of people wonder how heavy it is, because it looks very, very light. But it is not light. It is pretty heavy. All right. Hey, thank you. Oh, thanks. Uh, There's a classic trick that some of you may know. Let's see if I can find it. There we go. All right. This is... uh, this is the old classic disappearing handkerchief trick here. I'm just going to stuff that down in my left hand. Make sure that's nice and tight. And then uh, what are some magic words? Oh, abracadabra. That one always works. It's, uh, that's gone. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's see if I can get it back, though. That's the problem. It's a little bit trickier to get it back. Here we go. Mm. Ooh. Ah. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Last one, this one's my favorite. I have a little light, it's very, very small, even tougher to find in my pocket, there it is. All right, what's neat about this, if everyone can see this little light in my hand. Now this is small enough that uh, I can actually put it right through my shirt, I can pull it right through the cotton in my shirt, that's pretty cool. I can do a couple tricks with this one. The first one is uh, I can just put it in my mouth and kind of spit it back out. That, that one's super easy to do, but this one's a little bit trickier. I'm going to do the same trick, only I'm going to blow it out my nose this time. This is a little bit tougher. Here we go. Ah, oh, there it is. Thank you. Thank you. Last. Thank you very much. This last trick I'm going to do with this actually is a, is a little bit tougher. Uh, you have to be of uh, a certain IQ to do this one. So yeah, I'm going to put it in my left ear, hit my head a couple times and shake it around and pull it out of my right ear. Uh, it's because there's nothing in between. So that's why you have to be a certain IQ. So thanks, Denny.
0: I said to him, Do you want to talk or you just want to have music playing behind you? He said, No, I want to talk. I'm thinking maybe I should have had music playing behind me. <laughs> Are you seriously? I mean, you've seen some of those. Don't you wonder how did he do that? I read this section of scripture a hundred times in the last couple of weeks in preparation for our series, and I thought, how did Elisha do that? And I want to take you through a journey this morning. Last Sunday morning, we began our series, we've been continuing our series on Old Testament characters and some of the contemporary lessons that we can learn from them. When I looked at this particular section of scripture, I realized Elisha could have appeared to be an illusionist. But we're going to discover that there's so much more than meets the eye from what you think you see to what reality really is. I don't know if you've enjoyed this series, I hope you have on Old Testament characters. Last Sunday morning, we were talking about Elijah and that fire from heaven moment when God really consumed the altar and they took on the prophets of Baal. And then the very next chapter, you see him burning out and frying. Not even sure if he wants to go on with life. And the ups and downs, we talked about that within the context of some of the issues of life or what some of us face in ministry and what maybe you face in your world. As only God would have it. After one of the services Sunday morning, looked out of the corner of my eye, and a fellow was standing there that I'd never seen before, came up and said, can I talk to you just for a second? He said, I'm a pastor from the Midwest, six states away. And he said, I so desperately needed to hear that message this morning. Because he said, I'm fried. Will you pray with me? And so I did. Walked away and I thought, God. You're amazing of all days for all subjects for that particular fellow from six states away that would come on that day. You do know where we're at. You do know what I'm doing. You do know where I'm going through or what's going on in my life. That when I rise up in the morning, you're there. When I lie down at night, you're there. No matter where I'm at, I know you're there. You have a heart for me. You understand who I am and what I'm going through. And when he walked away and I never saw him again and I've been trying to find out where he's at in the last few days, I thought, God, you're fascinating how of all days that would have been the day that you would have had me choose this character for him on that Sunday. One of the things that God did as a part of the restoration process of Elijah was to give him someone to share the load with. In his case, it's Elisha. I've been blessed in that area and I I said that to a number of people throughout this week. I feel so overwhelmingly blessed. I'm not even sure how to respond to that in some of the circumstances they deal with in life. I mean, I'm blessed with an amazing wife who supported me in all the years of ministry with an unbelievable associate named Bob Thomas, who in all of our journey in the last 16 years together has been phenomenal in being able to walk alongside. We've had some fascinating years. To be able to know, I looked into the eyes on the other day and I thought, what a gift that God gave me to be able to have someone in all the ups and downs of ministry that we could walk together in this process. Phenomenal ministry team. One of the best groups of elders in the last uh, 12 years. I've had some incredible elders who've been able to walk alongside me. And I looked at that section of scripture and I thought, God, what a great gift you gave to Elijah in being able to have someone That he could share life with and ministry with. Elijah's story continues into 2 Kings. Ahab, the Israelite king that we talked about last Sunday morning, died. Another king came and took his place. In 2 Kings chapter 1, there's a story of that king falling through some lattice work in his palace. Hurting himself and trying to get help from one of the local idol gods. He sends a messenger out to find him and an angel of the Lord tells Elijah about it and he confronts the messenger and he asks his question, was there no God in Israel that you would consult another God? That's the exact premise that the demonstration of the fire from heaven in 1 Kings 18 was all about. Are you going to serve the living God? Are you going to believe in the living God? Are you going to follow the living God? Are you going to trust in the living God or trust in these other things? Now, when you and I hear that story, and even we look in this context, we think, how could you not call on God? Until we stop every once in a while realize we probably have done the same thing. We've seen God demonstrate his power in phenomenal ways, and then every once in a while we doubt. And we look in other ways and to other means to be able to solve our issues. Elijah predicted that that king would die in his bed, king got angry, sent a company of 50 men to go out and get Elijah. He calls down fire from heaven, Elijah does, and consumes the men. The king sent out another 50 men. Same thing happens. The king sends out another 50 men. Now, if you'd have been that third set of 50, would you have wanted to volunteer for that mission? Knowing what was going to happen on the other two. Now, again, when I read scripture, I read it with imagination. I read it with clarity and I read it with relevancy. And when I read that section of scripture, knowing what they knew, they knew that the first 50 had been consumed by fire. The next 50 would have been consumed by fire. And here it is, having to follow the orders of the king to go out after Elijah again. And I thought of all the military people down through the ages who've been sent into harm's way, knowing that it may cost them everything. And it made me at that moment, when I was just reading that section of Scripture, that nothing to do with what I was talking about or what I was going to talk about today. I wanted to pray for them. Because they had been sent out by their commander in a number of different contexts, knowing they may not come back alive. And when I read that, I thought, God, I always want to read Scripture with a relevant mindset as well and being able to understand maybe some of the lessons that we wouldn't normally see pop out of a section of scripture like that to be this. The second or the third said, begged for their lives and they were spared. Elijah predicted the king's death and he did indeed die. I don't know if you know that, but there are some fascinating stories in here that I hope you read and really process and learn from Because God preserved this. Heaven and earth, he said, is going to pass away, but my word never will. Elisha was extremely devoted to Elijah. He knew he'd eventually have to take his place as God's messenger, so he stayed with him till the end. He only asked one thing from Elijah. I would love a double portion of your spirit. Elijah said, well, you've asked a difficult thing, but if you see me leave this world, you'll get it. And Elisha had the opportunity to do that. The second chapter of 2 Kings is that amazing story of Elijah being taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire and horses and in a whirlwind. And when I read that section of scripture, I thought, what a way to go. Not sure how the end of my life's going to be and none of us do as well. I sat with a fellow the other day who's not always able to get around like he was. And he said to me, I just so wish I could get around like everyone else. And I said to him, brother... We're all going to get there at some point or the other. And I looked at this section of scripture and I thought, Lord, if I had to choose, if you gave me any options as to how to leave this world, that would be a good one. I also love the fact that maybe all dogs go to heaven. Maybe they don't. I know cats don't, but I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure horses do. Can't wait to get there and see them. Elisha's story continues until the next number of chapters. Again, you need to read these stories, they are phenomenal. And 2 Kings chapter 4 is a great story of the widow's jar of oil that never seems to run dry. She had some debt that needed paid, and so she sought out Elisha, and he said, Bring me some oil and bring me a a number of jars. And she kept filling the jars and filling the jars and filling the jars until all the jars were full, and she was able to sell all the excess oil so that she could pay off her debt. You ever been there when you ask God, Just keep it running. Keep your car running. Keep the, keep the gas running. I've been on Route 80, passed up an exit and realized the next one's for 47 miles and the light's already on in my car. And I think, oh, God, you did that with her. The oil never runs dry. Is there any chance that this tank would never run dry? $47 later, I found out it didn't. <clears throat> the guy comes over with a five-gallon bucket and I said, how much? He said, five bucks. I said, well, that's fair. I mean, $5 for five-gallon of gas? He said, it will be 45 to put it in. In the same chapter, he raises someone from the dead. Chapter 5 is that great story of healing that Naaman, finding out he had leprosy, we would see it as leprosy. Obviously, we would understand it better in the context of cancer and needed healed. Found out that Elisha had the power of God to do that and sent his messengers out, sent a lot of money with that, thought he could buy healing. Elisha said, you need to get down and, and dip seven times. He said, do you have any idea who I am? Kind of refused to do it until all of a sudden they say, look, you're going to die with this. And he had to swallow his pride. Get down and dip. And the seventh time he came up, he was clean. I thought every once in a while, God puts us all in positions or situations where we need to swallow our pride. Ask for help. Ask for prayer. Ask for encouragement. Or just say, I need someone. Chapter six is a story like Tim did this morning. It's the opportunity for uh, steam to stand on its own, where uh, a a guy is out cutting wood, cutting down trees. His axe head falls off, goes into the lake. He asks Elisha to come out and find it. The axe head rises up out of the water so the user can find it. I looked at all those stories and I thought, they're fascinating. They're interesting. I'm not sure if I understand why they're all there. And then I got to this story this morning, and I said, I think, just I, me, I think, I may know at least one of the reasons why they're there. And I'm going to share it with you this morning. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. That's where we are in the context this morning. And I want to spend some time on this particular story in this character's life and being able to pull some lessons out of that. 2 Kings Chapter 6, verse 8. I'm going to put you all on a spot, the worst spot you've ever been on on a Sunday morning. I have two options starting in September after John is here. I either stay and do some other Old Testament characters that I'd like to do, or I want to go into the book of Ephesians or maybe Colossians. not sure which one. If you had to vote, if you had to vote, would you say, hey, pick some more Old Testament characters. I've really enjoyed this series or I'd love for you to get back into a book of the New Testament and expound that. Which one would you choose? How many would like for me to stay with Old Testament characters? Four of you. How many would like me to go into a New Testament book? All right. Thank you. you find out in a few weeks who won. 2 <laughs> Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Now the king of Aaron was at war with Israel. That's been going on for a long time and continues to go that way. After conferring with his officers, he said, I'll set up camp in such and such place. The man of God, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king. So he was on his guard in such places. Now that enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded to them, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Who's got the inside track? Who's been standing in the huddle listening to where we're going? They responded, none of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go and find out where he's at, king ordered, so I can send men capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went up by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early in the morning, and an army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what are we going to do? Servant asked. Don't be afraid, Elisha, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, if you stop just at that, you've never read the story before. Do you wonder what are you thinking, Elisha? And can you imagine what a servant is thinking? Brother, there's nobody else here but me, you, and these mules, and there's no way on the planet that we're going to be able to take on this other army, and no matter what you tell me, I don't see it. And so Elisha prayed, verse 17, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of his servant. He looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike the enemy with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, "This is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I'll lead you to the man you're looking for." And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, "Lord, open his eyes so that they can see. Open the eyes of these men so that they can see." And the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. Now, when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, "Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? No, don't kill them," he answered. Would you kill those who have been captured by your own sword or bowl? Set food and water before them so that they can eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands of Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory on that day. One of the things that, to me, stand out in this story is to one of the many things that stand out all the way through Scripture is that God's will can be done on earth in times of good and in times of bad. God's will can be done on earth in times of war, in times of conflict, in times of despair, even when nations have turned away from God. God is not surprised. I know you know this, but God is not surprised by the events on earth. He's never sitting around saying, Michael, did you see this one coming? God is not surprised by the events on earth and is able to demonstrate his power even when we think all hope is lost, which is why when the disciples said to him, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? Pray this way. God, I want your will to be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Seems impossible. Doesn't make sense. The odds seem overwhelming, but I'm going to ask that your will is done on earth. Until we see you face to face, until you destroy this world to the end of time as we know it, I'm going to pray, even in the midst of unusual circumstances, overwhelming odds, God of the universe, I pray that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the focus of this story that I read to you here in this context here is about the difference between sight and vision. It's about the difference between sight and vision about what we think we see and what really is, about the differences between how we see things and how God sees things, how even an enemy is subordinate to the sovereignty and the power of God. In verse 15, when the servant wakes up in the morning and he looks and sees the circumstance around him, all he sees is the problem. All he sees is the enemy and it stops him in his tracks. No way out. We're never going to make it out of this. There's absolutely nothing we can do. Never felt like that? I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. The odds are overwhelming. The circumstances are beyond my control. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to live or die. Our enemy Satan loves to do that to us. He loves to paralyze us with fear, with hopelessness, make us think there's no way out in our lives, in our circumstances, in a bad marriage, with an addiction, even when you're angry. He will make us believe there's no way out. For any of you who've ever walked through life with anyone who's facing an addiction or struggling with addictions, one of the things that they will hear most often in their ear by the enemy of their soul who's out to destroy them is, there is no way you're ever going to get out. You've tried, you've tried, you've tried, there's no way. For those of you who maybe aren't strong in your faith, you've tried to live the Christian life only to find that you failed miserably. You didn't live up to your own expectations other than what you think God's expectations are. And you find yourself saying, I'm just going to give up. Why try this Christian thing? Why you've had friends, you're here this morning, but I got to believe you have friends of yours who have said that at times. I tried Christianity, it didn't work. I couldn't live the life. I couldn't do it. I couldn't even live up to my own expectations to let alone what I thought God's were. And the enemy of our soul and the enemy of their soul will constantly try to convince them that they'll never make it. And if you've failed in your Christian walk or you've gone backwards sometimes, one step forward, maybe two back, maybe two forward, one back, but you've gone backwards in your Christian life and that thing that was so heavy on you, that temptation or that area of life that you finally felt you had victory over, only to find that there it is in front of you again and maybe even gave into it for a moment. And the enemy has come in and said, see, you can't do this. You can't live this Christian life. And we think there's no way out. And whether it be in bad marriages or a bad lifestyle, the enemy of our soul is trying to do that constantly. He wants us to focus only on the problem and make it appear overwhelming. What I love about this story is the servant and Elisha saw the same situation. They saw the exact same situation. It's like the 12 spies that Moses sent in to spy out the promised land before they got there. All 12 saw the same things. 10 saw only the problems. Joshua and Caleb saw the possibilities. Elisha got up in the morning and he saw the obvious. They're surrounded by an enemy who's out to destroy them. But instead of focusing on the problems, he sees the possibilities and recognizes the power of God that's available to all of us. After all this servant of God must have seen God do, you kind of wonder why he would be so afraid now. When I looked at all these stories, and I looked at this particular story, I found myself asking, why are they even in there? Made an axe head float so a, uh, an axeman could continue. His, why is that in there? The oil that never runs dry. The healing I get, maybe I understand that one. But I looked at some of those stories and I thought, why are they all in there, God? This is a conclusion I came to. Maybe it's just me. You can doubt it if you want. Maybe you have a better one. But I wondered if the servant, who I have to believe had been with Elisha all along, saw them all and somehow forgot the power of God. I really do wonder, and I honestly believe, he had seen them all. The story of the oil, the story of the axe head, the healing, and all of those things. He had seen them all, and all of a sudden, in this one, he stops. The one thing that God kept saying over and over and over and over again to the Israelites is this. Remember what I have done. Remember what I have done. Tell your family, tell your kids, tell the story over and over again. Never, ever forget what I have done. Because his biggest fear is we get here to this monumental moment and we forget all the other things that God has done. And when I looked at that story, I thought, God, these don't make sense to me. And the conclusion that I came to is that God put them in there For this servant to be able to understand that God was able to do some incredible things, yet you get to this moment and you forget. Of all the things that Jesus said in the upper room to his disciples, he said, every time you share communion, I want you to do something. You know what it is? Remember me. Don't ever forget what I have done. I thought, how could you ever forget? How could you ever look at a cross and forget? And then I find myself, and maybe you do too, maybe it's just only me, in the middle of my circumstances where all I see is the moment, all I see is the this, I too easily can forget. Be overwhelmed, consumed with fear and doubt. And God says, every once in a while, I want you to just look around. I want you to recognize what I've done. I want you to see what I have accomplished. And I want you to remember In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul said, look, I need you to know that you're going to be in battle. I need you to know on a regular basis you're going to be in battle. Not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the dark world. But I also need you to know that you have resources available to you in the middle of that battle. You have the armor of God. You have the power of God. You have prayer. You have the opportunity to be able to be a part of a family of God. He plays that out and lays out all the way through the book of Ephesians. Paul basically is saying to them, look, similar situation to happen to Elisha is something that continues to happen down through the ages. That every once in a while in life, we're going to face an enormous obstacle. And many times we're going to face a powerful enemy. And I want to remind you that you have unbelievable resources at your disposal. And I want you every once in a while just to stop and back up and recognize that it's not what you see because there's more than me the eye. There is the power of God, the resources of God, the family of God that is available to you to pull on, to draw from this journey of God, of all the things that I've seen him do, of all the things that I've seen him accomplish, so that you don't only focus on the moment you recognize who he is and the power that is available to us. Spiritual warfare and the demonic influences of life are all around us. When you talk to people in the United States, they kind of get it. They hear it. They understand it. They kind of know what Paul's talking about, but they kind of ignore it as well. And yet every time I go overseas and anytime you talk to a missionary, they see it every day. Demonic oppression? Absolutely. I see it every day. I see it all the time. Demonic influence, the power of the enemy? Every day. It is all around us. And sometimes if we don't remember what God has done and what God has accomplished, We either give in to I don't care or give in to despair. I love these sections of scripture, these stories like this that are reminders that I had the opportunity to stand firm in the power of God and all the resources available to me. To not be pushed around by my situation, my circumstance, or my problem. But I can stand firm in God. Why? He says so in 1 John 4, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The assumption, of course, is that he is in you that you're not trying to do this on your own. You also notice in this whole context in Ephesians chapter 6, but more even in this context here in 2 Kings chapter 6, you notice the power of prayer. Prayer should never be our last resort, but our first response. It should never be our last resort, but our first response. Use your God-given ability, seek advice, but don't ever see prayer as, well, when all else fails, let's pray, or at least I can do is pray. Sometimes in the middle of the battle, we need to ask the God of the universe to open our eyes and remember that his army is around us, providing us a way out, providing us the strength that we need to get through. Things aren't always as they seem. And every so often in the day-to-day routine of life or the overwhelming moments of life, I need to go back to stories like this and say, God, thank you for reminding me that there's more than what I see in this circumstance. There's all the resources and all the power of God available to me as a believer in Jesus Christ to take on whatever enemies I'm facing, either it's a personal one or an overwhelming one from the outside. Some of you have been in those circumstances. Maybe some of you are there now. For what you're facing seems overwhelming and you feel like there's no way out. I encourage you to go back to stories like this as to why they're written. I've given you all of this, he says, so that you can know and understand how to have life and how to respond to the circumstances around you. Maybe you're there now. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the power of the stories of your word. It's so easy to see them in the context of just another story and one that we tell our kids, one that we paint a mural of at times, just to be reminded of some of these great Old Testament stories. But there's so much more than that. I thank you for the journey that many of us have been on, maybe all of us in this room, and we've seen your hand in phenomenal ways, even in the midst of those dark moments when there seems to be no way out and no answer in sight, I thank you for these reminders like this, that there is. I pray for that pastor last week. I pray, oh God, in the midst of his deep, dark moments of contemplating whether to stay in or out, that you will keep him strong and consistent and faithful to the end. For friends in this audience this morning who are facing some really overwhelming odds, children that are walking away from you who aren't following you, they've done everything they possibly can, but they just wonder if they're ever going to come back to you, I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, that you remind them of who you are and what you have done, and that you will continue to keep their focus not on the issue, but on the God of the universe, for the one who's facing cancer this morning, for the one who's facing the uncertainties of careers and jobs. Help them for just a few moments this morning in these quiet moments to see well beyond the circumstance and to see you. Thank you for your love and grace that you are the great God of the universe that we sang about a moment ago. And we trust you will continue to remind us of that in the midst of our deep, dark moments, that your light will shine so bright that we'll see our way out. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.